There are way too many burnt offerings for God to be a vegan. Hey friends, I'm Jackie Newsom, And I'm Isaiah Lewis. And you're listening to Under God, a podcast where two outsiders come together to question the text and build community. Thanks for listening. Our reading today is Exodus chapter 24, verses 12 through 18. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there. I'll give you the stone tablets with the instructions and the commandments that I've written in order to teach them. So Moses and his assistant Joshua got up and Moses went up God's mountain. Moses said to the elders, wait for us here until we come back to you. Aaron and her will be here with you. Whoever has a legal dispute may go to them. Then Moses went up the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The Lord's glorious presence settled on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from the cloud. To the Israelites, the Lord's glorious presence looked like a blazing fire on top of the mountain. Moses entered the cloud and went up the mountain. Moses stayed on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. All right. So now is the time that Jackie and I take a moment to pause and think about words and phrases that stood out to us. And if you'd like to pause the podcast and think about your own words and phrases, this would be a good time to do that. I have two and they're right next to each other. One is all of verse 17. So to the Israelites, the Lord's glorious presence looked like a blazing fire on top of the mountain. And then the second one is Moses entered the cloud and went up the mountain. Oh, I didn't even notice that. Mm. What set out to me, a few things. The numerical nods to things we already know. So the six and seven days creation. Mm. And the 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus being in the wilderness. We don't know that yet, though. I mean, chronologically, we don't know that. But, like, fine, I know that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. Okay. I, Moses' assistant, Joshua, I don't know why that stood out, but it did. Of course, whoever has a legal dispute, that, of course, that stood out to me. That stood out to me, too, because is it okay if I say why? Yes, please. Moses is not worried about their spiritual well-being. He's worried that they're going to sue each other. Okay. Like, don't, <laughs> let, don't let people tell you people back in Bible times wasn't beefing because Moses can't even go to the mountain, like, can't even step away from these people who just got free <laughs> without having to worry about them fighting each other. Yeah. So that's that's what I wanted to yes, say. Yes, I love it. I love it. Should we read again? Or do you have more? It, it can wait. No, it will not wait with your That's So Raven mode on today. It will not wait. I need, I need it now. <laughs> so I started reading a little bit before. Like mm-hmm. I started reading in yeah. verse 9. And in verse 9, it says, Then Moses and Aaron... Nadab and Abihu and 70 elders of Israel went up and they saw Israel's God 
under God's feet, there are what looked like a floor of lapis lazuli tiles, dazzlingly pure like the sky. God didn't harm the Israelites' leaders, though they looked at God and they ate and drank. And I don't remember ever reading that in seminary or anywhere else. And it kind of blew my mind. Word. So I've spent kind of a lot of time this week thinking about God's feet and lapis lazuli and like... There were like 74 people the first time and then just Moses and Joshua and some dude named Her the second time? No, Her's with Aaron. Oh, sorry. Her's the legal intern. Sorry, Her. <laughs> what color or what is lapis lazuli? Uh, It is a type of jewel and it's blue. Okay, listen here. I was hoping you would say it wasn't white because what I love is the word pure connected to something that isn't white. Yes. Like look like look at look at God right in there. Literally look at God. Yes. Ooh. Pure like the sky, pure and blue. So in this second reading, I'm going to start with verse nine because Jackie and I decided that it was interesting enough to include in the second reading. So Exodus chapter twenty-four verses nine through 18. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 elders of Israel went up, and they saw Israel's God. Under God's feet, there was what looked like a floor of lapis lazuli tiles, dazzlingly pure like the sky. God didn't harm the Israelite leaders, though they looked at God, and they ate and drank. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there. I'll give you the stone tablets with the instructions and the commandments that I've written in order to teach them. So Moses and his assistant Joshua got up, and Moses went up to God's mountain. Moses had said to the elders, Wait for us here until we come back to you. Aaron and Hur will be here with you. Whoever has a legal dispute may go to them. Then Moses went up to the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The Lord's glorious presence settled on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from the cloud. To the Israelites, the Lord's glorious presence looked like a blazing fire on top of the mountain. Moses entered the cloud and went up the mountain. Moses stayed on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. What a weird story. Like... So are the, oh gosh. All right. So first of all, are the 70 elders, is that like actual seven zero or is that like 511? Like, is that like everybody, (laughs) everybody and their mama came up the first time? Well, they were elders, so it might well be 511. (laughs) Like, yeah, it might, it might, I don't know. I read too many articles. This is a problem. Because all I want to talk about is like all these little nuggets that the articles told me about. (laughs) Let me put it this way. When I was growing up, we spent a lot of time. I used to think that the Bible had like, you know, two dozen stories in it. And we would just hit them over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And everybody knew them and whatever. Mm -hmm. And there's just some weird, weird shit in here. And like, (laughs) and, but I, I was speaking to one of my roommates who... Um, goes to a church where 
many of the members are Congolese. And she's like, yeah, different stories have different resonances depending on what culture you're from. And like the story of the covenant at Sinai, if you're Congolese, has resonances with rituals in other religious traditions that make so much sense that it's more like everyday life and the weirdness has has everything to do with who you are and nothing to do with what's happening if that makes sense yes that does make sense what what why is this weird to you so where this shows up in exodus we've got people being saved from slavery pulled out of slavery they're wandering in the desert god has just given them a bunch of really specific rules about like how to treat each other then god is like i'm gonna give you a a clear messenger to follow and i'm gonna give you your own land unfortunately that section has been used to justify imperialism and just like taking over other people's land you went there you went come on say it say it one more time yeah so that's why joshua is such a like stressful hair-raising figure in this because like you know, particularly European Christians have used the conquest of Canaan and that story to, like, justify colonialism the world over and just taking over other people's land because God said it's okay to do it this one time. Which, again, this is why redaction criticism matters because who the editors were as oppressed people who were kidnapped from their own land trying to talk about what God's faithfulness looks like when you are in exile is completely different from when you are a military power and you are just destroying millions upon millions of people and taking over their land. Like, context matters. So this isn't even really about Joshua, right? This is about chapter 23. And part of what's so stressful, right, is that the people who are writing this are writing from God's perspective. So they're putting words in God's mouth, right? Ultimately, what they're trying to say is God's going to give them a place. Unfortunately, the way that that shows up because of who they are and the limits of their own imaginations, right? The confines of their own imagination. They cannot think of having a place that is theirs and theirs alone without taking it from somebody else and wiping them out. They can't imagine being able to worship their God without destroying somebody else's. And the real tragedy of that is not just that that was something that they could not conceive of because everybody has limits in their own cultural imaginations, right? The tragedy is the ways in which the British Empire, the American Empire, the just anyone with a gun in Western Europe, essentially, decided that this was a great proof text to say God condones the destruction of millions or billions of people in virtually every place on the planet where a person of color has lived. To destroy that place, take people's stuff, and ruin cultures because of of the convenient lack of imagination in reading this text. Ooh, that was a word. Like, ooh, we need to preach that. Like, yes, yes, yes. All of that happens in, in chapter 23. We're in chapter 24. In chapter 24, God has this, this covenant with Moses in which 
all these people are involved in like slaughtering animals. There's a burned offering and then Moses like pours the blood that's in the bowls from these animals that have been slaughtered first on the horns of the altar and then like the other half of the blood on the people in order to be like, all right, so like now we have this contract. We're now bound together, God and the Israelites. And so that just happened. And now we're in the section that's like talking about all these elders and Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu, who I don't currently know who they are, they go up to see Israel's God. They just go and look at God and then they have dinner with God and they know what God's feet look like now. That's fine. Yeah. Then Moses comes down apparently and then goes back up for a really long time. In my head, I'm like, okay, so Moses went up to get the Ten Commandments, and he just stuck around a while, and then he came back down. No, Moses got the Ten Commandments, and he got six chapters of very, very detailed interior decorating instructions. God's like, you know what I want in the middle of this in this desert? I want dolphin skin leather. You want to show me that, like, I, I want a house, but I don't want just any house. I want a dolphin skin leather house. Instructions for the table. Make an acacia wood table, three feet long, 18 inches wide, and 27 inches high. Cover it with pure gold and make a gold molding all around it. Make a frame around it that is four inches wide and gold molding around the frame. Make four gold rings for the table. Fasten the rings to the four corners at the four legs. Of course Moses was up there for 40 days. <laughs> Y'all can't see. Y'all cannot see his face. I can't see him talking about this right now. Yes. <laughs> and so like, so the other thing, so this text is just very strange and we never read it because what are you going to do with it? God's like, for six chapters, I'm going to tell you how I want my house to be built. And, and I've just been thinking about it because there's a kind of intimacy in the specificity, right? Like if we're talking about a God who's like, I'm going to come be with you and you are a people who need to know that I'm here. I'm going to show you just how here I am. I'm going to give you the instructions for a table so you know that, like, when you're building this table, you're building it for me. Like, I wonder if that is a comfort. Like, this tabernacle is portable, that it's, it's going to travel with the people who are on the move. But it's also... Like, it's not abstract. It's not just like, just throw up anything. God's like, I want the most beautiful thing you can imagine. I want you to, to make it with your hands. I want you to bring me the most precious thing you can think of. I don't know. Like, maybe there's some good news in there. And I'm only just like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to find it. Like, this is going beyond what we're supposed to be talking about by a long shot. But I, I don't think that we can look at the Moses going up the mountain like we we can look at that and kind of just be like okay Moses on a mountain mystery experience and then connect it to Jesus's mystery experience and the transfiguration um in Matthew and in Luke which plenty of folks do because you know Matthew and Luke do that like it's not subtle but I feel like there's a lot going on before and after just an exodus that's just kind of bewildering and then like right after the six chapters of like blue and purple and red blue and purple and red you guys make sure it's don't bring me any green stuff like i will that is straight out 
God has this whole thing about like, don't worship other gods. Don't you dare worship any other gods. I'm going to show you how committed I am to you by coming down to be with you, to not be, you know, up in the ether somewhere or whatever. I know that you need like a concrete reminder that I'm right here. Don't you dare worship any other gods. And what do they do? The first thing they do is like, okay, we're going to melt down all our stuff and make a cow. Like immediately Moses leaves them and they're like, we're going to build a cow. We're going to worship that cow because we are stressed. My, my initial critique is why is this a part of the lectionary? Like in my mind, sure, you can take the more lo- sort of obvious shortcut and, you know, link this with the New Testament. But like, it just feels like this text doesn't really do well standing alone. And it requires a whole lot of work, you know, around it for us to sort of find some good news. And maybe that's just my attitude because I think I have to challenge a lot of the perceived good news as read in sort of 9 through 18. It just, yeah, it just feels like this, this text requires a whole lot more. So like, why? Why do we pick this one? Like, why do we think this is a good idea? And for the listeners, I'm referring to whatever committee created the lectionary text because like we said earlier we are picking texts from the lectionary so we have we had four options this week and i chose this one on purpose because i think it's important that we explore old testament in a consistent way um because there's a lot of bad theology around the old testament but like i don't know that we should have had this one stand alone like this i don't know that i don't know that this was a great pick guys y'all didn't i wasn't invited um but like i'm not convinced that this was great i really appreciate your roommate's attempt to salvage and bring us some good news in the specificity and I'm like I'm really open to that and as you were talking I'm sitting here thinking okay how much how can I remain true to just the portions of the text that we read and find the good news and I feel like I can't I have to first get out my challenges and again my challenges are are based on articles that I've read but I think one in verse that first section verse 9 through 11 one of the commentaries that I read essentially said the comment about like they didn't die or whatever, God didn't harm the Israelite leaders is actually a conditional comment in the original Hebrew. And it's more like God didn't harm them yet. And it's like, Oh no. Yeah. And it's like, well, all right, that's terrifying. Like, okay, cool. (laughs) Um, And then what I found interesting was, I always thought maybe this is because of TV that Moses was like chiseling in the Ten Commandments, but the way 12 reads, verse 12 reads, it's like God already had them ready made and was like, here you go, wrote these down for you, go take them back down. Yeah. And then, and then there's some messiness within the Ten Commandments because people like to try to oppress people using those commandments. But what I find interesting, I think the way, there are different ways of jurisprudence, different ways that you can read the law. And I mean this from like my, my lawyer brain, not the law of the Lord, but I think it applies here. And what's interesting to me about the Ten Commandments is not what's in the commandments, but what's not in the commandments. Because we spend a whole lot of time, at least church folks in my experience, oppressing people about stuff that's actually not even <laughs> in the Ten Commandments. Like when God had the opportunity to first present us with the first written item, right, of direction. God ain't put this, this, and this in there, and yet y'all worried about that on Sunday morning. And if we believe that God put them in there, it's it's a whole bunch of problematic, like, 
patriarchal stuff and it's like in the Ten Commandments. So it's just a hot mess generally, right? Like this just feels like, ooh, this is just chock full of problems. So then, right, what we talked about when we first sort of read the text, the first go around is like, and then Moses got to tell the people, I basically, I know y'all are not going to act right. I know y'all are not going to act right. So I've left Aaron and her here. And when y'all get in a dispute, basically, just go to them because I don't have time because I'm trying to, I'm trying to work some stuff out with the person who just freed us. So like, excuse me, like, while I go, you know, get us together. Right. And then Moses goes to the mountain and is just, just like doing whatever for 40 days and 40 nights. If I just had to take this section alone, like the good news here is what that God shows up. The good news here, I think one of the unique, what I was reading is that one of the unique things about this text is that, is that there's an emphasis on being able to see God, whereas more often in the Old Testament or in the Pentateuch specifically, Pentateuch is just the first. The first five books. Yeah, so. in one of those, either, either the whole Old Testament or the Pentateuch specifically. It's typically the case that God is speaking, but God is not seen. And so here is one of the few times where God is seen. And so maybe there's some good news in that. Like maybe, maybe that's the, the good news portion of it. I mean, I'm really trying here because I want people to listen to this and be like, yeah, I feel better. For me, as I was reading and as I was preparing, what stood out to me the most, I guess, probably because of the nature of, of the articles that I was reading was these little details, right? The, the details in the language, the details in the fact that God is a- appearing to people, the details in it not saying that Moses wrote him, like, you know, that sort of thing. And it's like, well, these are interesting things to pick up about the text. And as we're thinking and engaging and grappling with what the Bible means or what it means to us or how it can be read. And so for me, like maybe Sunday school was taught wrong. Like, you know what I mean? Like this text, like if we were in seminary and we were going over this text, I think we would be interested in the redaction history, right? We would be interested in the way these different schools of thought came together and produced this very interesting set of verses, right? Like, and so the good news is... That it's interesting? Right. Or that we get to observe, like, the complexity of, of the creation of this section, like... Like, what's here that saves my soul and liberates me? That I, it has to be the seeing God, right? Like, that has to be a huge thing. But, but then I'm upset because it's like, well, everybody didn't get to see God. So, you know, I have an attitude with that because I want everything to be inclusive. And then I think when you point out, like, so, you know, Joshua comes up and it's like, all right, well, now we got to deal with this complexity. And it's, I don't know, like, are we, I guess we're supposed to be happy that God is interacting with the people of Israel and like there's this just beautiful, powerful moment with these mountains. And it, maybe you can't read this text without a nod to the New Testament, right? Because again, when we talk about mountains, who is it? I preached this. What was it? it oh, who's the guy who wanted to die? Enoch. No. Not, uh, he like goes to the wilderness and he's like. Oh, Elijah. Elijah. So I'm like, okay, Elijah, this is evoking a lot of Elijah for me right? With these mountains and how we meet with God and like how God shows up for us when things are getting tough. Like that to me is like the Elijah text. 
And so maybe the good news is that this is like a, just a foreshadow. Like, I don't know. I just feel like you can't read this in isolation. And maybe I mean, that's the good news. <laughs> that you need context in order to read the Bible in a valuable way. You need context and you need the Holy Spirit in order to get out of this, like, something important. So don't just sit down, like we said in the beginning, and, like, open up your Bible and read the word because someone yelled at you. Because then you read this and you're like, what's happening here? Maybe it's not, like, the most stellar idea, right? Like, the best articulation of it or, or whatever. But, like, that God knows what we need in order to try to trust God. And it seems like God also knows that we're going to fail. So what I'm getting from this that I feel like could be good news is the materiality of it, right? We are very concrete organisms and God is more or less invisible. And that makes God hard to trust because you can't see God. Um, at least that makes God hard to trust for me. And so there's a lot of materiality here. There's throwing blood on people and there's clouds and fire and there's God feet and lapis lazuli. And later there's a whole lot of interior decorating and it reminds me of, so, so my other roommate is Catholic. And one of the things that she has talked to me about is how in the Catholic tradition, far more than in the Protestant traditions that I'm more experienced with, there's a real sense of like using sacred objects as a focal point for prayer because we need something to hold and touch in order to kind of help us get there. And like the fact that God shares a meal with these elders like there there are a number of things about um communion actually and baptism that i feel like are brought up in this passage like god breaks bread with people or at the very least people break bread in the presence of god they're they're eating um and yeah they're not dead yet i wish there wasn't a yet there you're right but like the first vision of god that that people had and i think that's in exodus chapter 18 was a terrifying one and it was very much a, a god kind of showing god's power which perhaps people felt like they needed at the time we don't know why that happened exactly but it makes sense that they would feel on edge this time around and so maybe the conditional is part of like maybe that has to do with like the psychology of the humans who were there right as opposed to god's actually gonna strike them dead or any any real threat as opposed to a sense of just anxiety. So that's that's one possibility. You know, the blood thing, the covenant involves a slaughter of an animal and putting blood on the, the altar and then putting blood on the people. And all of these things are, are sort of God working through human systems of meaning making, right? And material objects in order to try to communicate to us in order to try to come close to us and i see that as as good news i don't know that's there amazing i am compelled like you have you have totally in five minutes changed my attitude about this sex 
because now as you're talking, I'm like, one, the blood, we see the blood, maybe not for the first time, but we do see the blood on the doors for people to get out. Yes. And so here we have another ritual that is reaffirming or confirming the promise of protection from God in a, in a way that, like you said, that they're going to recognize, know, and honor. And how significant is it when God shows up for you in a way that you recognize? Yes. That is incredible. So, so one, I'm like, okay, boom, got me. Then two, perhaps we can understand the yet as a, you didn't have to die to see God. So right, I feel like a lot of theology around heaven is like, when, when I get to heaven, I'll see my Lord sort of thing. And this is a, you don't have to wait to die to be able to interact with God or to see God, right? Or to really have this intimate relationship and connection with God. Okay, okay. And that is incredibly good news, right? Because that means when I think about enslaved Africans who combine African religious traditions with the Christianity presented to them. And, and when we think about the spirituals, there's so much conversation about when I see God and when I get here, because it was so hard to feel God's presence in the midst of child slavery. And so this text can sort of act as a reminder of like, you don't have to die to see God. Mm -hmm. You don't have to wait till the other side to see God. You can see God now. And like that, is so life-giving. E- even the prom- like the hope, the promise that I can see God while still living, while still being in the land of the living. As the psalmist says, whoo, I can, I can see the beauty and the favor and like the hand of the Lord here. That's everything. And you can, and now you can spend so much time, 40 days and 40 nights up in a mountain and come back down and still potentially have to deal with mess and that not be a reflection of there's something being something wrong with you, right? That you can still be able to see God and, and eat in the presence of God and still have trouble, right? Or still be caught up in the wrong thing where you need, right? Legal arbitration. Yeah. Where where you can have both. Whoo, baby. Okay. That's a little freeing to me. I'll take it. And that God wants to teach us right that like we have all of this stuff about here are all the rules and here's how you need to act you know and and we have this this ritual that's also like a legal contract kind of thing right and so it can feel very much like it's all just rules but ultimately like this line with the instructions and commandments that i've written in order to teach them i don't know like maybe that is good news in the sense of like like if we think about it less as you have to do what I'm what I say, right? And more like let me show you how, right? What if God is coming to us? Like the eating thing just is really sticking out to me like that God is God and God can show up as a as a cloud, as a bunch of flames, as whatever, something with feet, but like God knows that people need to eat food. Mm. And so they eat who knows what's on the top of the mountain all we know is that god makes sure there's food to eat Mm. and god knows that people have to learn like you don't just this isn't apple this isn't you know freaking amazon like terms and conditions apply click here to say that you know you've signed away your rights or whatever god's like i want to teach you 
and sometimes we talk about like being children of God and like that can come with a lot of baggage for a lot of folks because like families are messy and and relationships with parents are some of the most complicated relationships we have but like if you think about the love of a parent who at their best want to make sure that their kid grows up to be healthy and happy there's so much teaching that's involved and yes there's a lot of do this don't do that but it it doesn't have to do with the obedience to the parent so much as it does helping the child grow and and be able to connect with the world in a healthy way to relate to other people in a way that's like respectful and meaningful (laughs) so maybe we could read this in a sense of nurturance of like yeah i know what you need you need food and you need to see me you need the the reassurance of my presence that i i'm not going anywhere like build me a house if that's what it takes for you to know i'm not leaving you um build me the nicest house you can think of if it makes you feel like i'm not going anywhere I'm not going anywhere that you're not going. Um, I'm here and I, I will teach you to be the people that you already are to me. Like maybe maybe that's happening in here. I feel like we really fought through this text to get to this place. Like I feel like there was some really important <laughs> intellectual and spiritual heavy lifting just now. Go team. Go team. Like, yike, yes. All right. Are we at benediction time? Yeah. All right. Let's close this puppy out. Let's do this. (laughs) Go. Live as free people. And even when it's tough, keep the faith, baby. Under God was created by Jackie Newsom and Isaiah Lewis. Our music is by Broke for Free. I just keep thinking gator boots and I'm like, like, is God from Detroit? Like, I don't understand. Like, what's happening?